Hi, I'm Pastor Jason from Yokine Baptist Church, and this is a sermon recorded at one of our Sunday morning services. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you're encouraged by this message and that it draws you closer to God. Enjoy. You know, um, Monopoly is probably the most famous uh, you know, of the games of life. Nearly every one of us has played it at some point. But did you know that Monopoly was actually stolen from another game, a game called The Landlord's Game? So back in 1903, the creator made this game um, as a way to encourage people to enrich the community, to create wealth through property for everyone. And it was designed in particular to promote these... uh, uh, ed- um, economical and tax policies of a guy named Henry George. In particular, his idea was that you should get rid of all other taxes and you should only have a land tax and that way the wealthiest people pay most of the tax and it gets distributed around evenly. But the creator of the game failed to patent it and even when she was given the opportunity, she didn't take it. She wasn't interested in making a lot of money So it was stolen and converted into the game of Monopoly, which is, you know, which is the opposite of what she intended because Monopoly is a game where everyone tries to bankrupt everybody else and is left with all the money. Um, So it's kind of the opposite of what she intended when she wrote it. You know, Monopoly is a game that encourages greed. It's a bit. It's, it's fun. It's not like a sin to play it. Okay, I'm just saying. But it's, but its aim is to is to earn the most money. And greed is a plague of modern society. Here is a little video that shows you one glaring example of greed in the church. That's a glaring example. Uh, I, I won't ask you to spot out the uh, the theological faults in their arguments uh, because they're probably pretty obvious. Um, you know, although if that was true, um, you guys are going to have to give a lot more because <laughs> my, my little mansion is just not big enough. It just doesn't cut it. And why should I be slumming it and driving to church? I mean, surely you could get me a helicopter or something. <laughs> you know, the problem of greed is, uh, is nothing new. It actually started right back in the Garden of Eden. You know, Adam and Eve were given everything they could possibly want. You know, they had everlasting life. They had perfect health. They had plenty of food all around them. And more importantly, they had a close and intimate relationship with the creator of the universe himself. And God only gave them one rule. And he said, you can eat from every tree in this garden, whatever you like except just that one. That's it. That's my only rule for you, just that one tree. But they were tempted by greed. And so we read in uh, in Genesis 3, you will not certainly die, the certain said to Eve, for God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, And also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it and gave it to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. You know, Adam and Eve, with everything they had, 
were greedy for the one thing they couldn't have. In spite of everything they possessed, they became greedy for that one forbidden fruit. And we all know the results of that. So money's not evil. There's nothing wrong with having money. You know, I can't pay my telephone bill without money. I can't pay my rent without money. So obviously it's, it's necessary. Uh, and people sometimes misquote But the scripture says that a love for money is what's evil. Timothy says, Those who want to get rich fall into a temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. You know, we can all be tempted by greed. Uh, and greed, greed doesn't have to just be about money. So we've already seen that in, in the Garden of Eden, it was greed for this tasty-looking fruit and, the, and this knowledge that it might give them. Uh, during the conquest of Jericho, uh, it, when the Israelites sacked the city and they were told to, to leave all the wealth for God, and one man and his family stole the wealth. And as a result, God punished the whole nation, and the next time that they fought, they lost until they weeded out the the greedy man. Uh, David was greedy, and so he stole another man's wife and had an affair with her. Um, Kids get greedy for their parents' attention, and they fight with each other to see who can get the most attention from mum and dad. So you you can be greedy about anything, and greed can act like an addiction. Greed makes us think in unhealthy ways and, you know, it, it can make us do things that we otherwise wouldn't do. Hey, maybe, is it, I don't know if anyone's as hot as I am, but is, can we crank up that, this one here, Alex? Thanks, buddy. So, here's a question. What would you do for $10 million? Uh, in their book, The Day America Told the Truth, Uh, James Patterson and Peter Kim ask that question of people. What would you do for $10 million? Uh, And these are the things that people said. And some people said, you know, agreed to multiple of these things. But 25% said they'd abandon their family. 25% would abandon their church. 16% would surrender up their citizenship. 16% would leave their husband or wife. Mm, Real true love there, isn't there? 10%, well, for some of you it might be an upgrade, I don't know. But 10% would withhold their testimony and allow a murder to go free. 7% said that they would murder a stranger. And 3% said they'd put their kids up for adoption. Wow. The love of money is truly a source of all kinds of evil. But you know, the opposite of greed is contentment. And uh, I can't think of a better example than the Apostle Paul. 
He says, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. He's talking, about the, he's talking here in terms of financials. Paul at this time was seeking um, money for himself and for a church that uh, some churches that were struggling under a famine. And so he was asking some of the other churches who had more to contribute and help out. And so that in that practical context, he was talking literally about saying, you know, it's, it's great that you're able to help me. Right? So it's great that you renewed your concern for me. Um, indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. But now they obviously have. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So contentment is the opposite of greed. And here's the way we, we get to that contentment. Gratitude. Gratitude is the thing we need first. I'm sure you've all had conversations with people who really don't seem interested in listening to you, but they just want to talk about themselves. You know, they're greedy for all the attention on themselves. Uh, And much like the guy in the parable that Jesus told. You know, in eight short verses, this guy uses the words I and my ten times. Uh, So he says, what shall I do? I've got no place for my things. This is what I'll do. I will tear down. I will store. I will say, my crops, my barns, my grain, my goods. It's all me, myself, and I. You know, in this parable, Jesus shows that greed can turn our focus away from God and back on ourselves and on what we have. Away from our gracious provider and instead onto our provision. When we're greedy, it's impossible to be thankful. Uh, Here's here's an example. Uh, I took a friend to the cricket last night, right? And we've got a guy, we have have membership, so we have the same seats, so we've got the same people sitting next to us every week, right? And the guy that sits next to us, let's just say he's not the sharpest crayon in the box, Right, doesn't know, understand the rules. He's always making crazy comments. And I noticed, I noticed that particularly yesterday that he is really quick to criticise and yell at our guys anytime they might make a small mistake. But, you know, I never heard him once through the entire game ever say something positive about them. Anytime, you know, oh, they just hit... They just hit three sixes in the over. Nothing. You know, they just took two wickets. Nothing. You know, there was nothing positive, nothing encouraging. It was the world's worst cheerleader. You know, and we can get like that, can't we? we? You know, it's like, wow, he just hit 24 runs off that over. That's amazing. No, no, that wasn't good enough for him. Someone fumbled the ball in the next over. <laughs> You know, when we become, we become greedy for more and more and more, we're never content. Nothing's ever good enough for us. You know, this guy in this parable was blessed in amazing ways. And yet he was focused on the wealth 
rather than on the people that helped him get that wealth. There's no mention here about God who provides everything for him. There's no mention here of maybe his customers who might have spent money. No mention of all the workers that did the hard work of bringing in his crops or anything. The man's only focus is himself. And because of that, he completely lost focus of God. You know, it's a self-centered focus that takes us away from having gratitude. You know, not, much, not once does he consider God or anyone else. And we hear the kind of, these kind of comments, the same things that this guy did. We talk about, oh, it's my money, it's my house, it's my job, even my church. Now, sometimes I like it when people say, my church. Because, you know, they say, oh, I'd love you to come to my church. I really enjoy being part of my church. You know, there's that sense of ownership, that sense of belonging. And when you do that, that's really nice. But sometimes I hate it when people say my church because they mean it's my church to the exclusion of everyone else. Oh, no, you can't do that. This is the way I like to do it in my church. You know, like my previous church was a bit like this. People didn't like change, you know. You know, how many people at the Church of Christ would like, uh, does it take to change a light globe? Change? That's my light globe. I've been using that light globe for 50 years. Doesn't work, but that's fine. It's the way it always has been. My light globe. You know, having, having money is not a sin, but having a love for money above everything else clearly is. Um, there's, a, there's a woman by the name of Leona Helmsley. Not Hemsley, but Helmsley. And in 1972, uh, she was a greedy person and she stole another man's, another woman's husband. Now, he, no surprises, he was really rich. Uh, he was worth like an estimated $5 billion, right? And a few years later, um, her husband then appointed her as the, the, the president, the chief of all of their hotels, including like the, the Empire State Building. These guys owned everything. And when her husband died, she then came, became the sole inheritor of her wealth. Now, what did she do? Well, naturally, she gave most of it away to charity. No, 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 no. Naturally, she was thankful. No. She wanted more. Nothing was enough. She ended up being convicted and jailed for tax fraud. And she ended up having to pay back $2 million. Now you think about this. She had $5 billion and she was willing to go to jail to try and save $2 million. And not only that, when, she, um, when, when her son died suddenly at the age of 40, right, her son owed her a loan of $149,000, right? Now, she's a five billionaire dollar, right? Five billionaire, multi-billionaire. Her son owed her $149,000. So naturally, she was, jealous to, uh, she was generous to her daughter-in-law and their children, wasn't she? No. She claimed back that money out of his estate. That left the widow $2,000, and each of their children, $400 each. And then she kicked them out of their house. Wonderful person, wonderful person. You know, there's a, um, 
you've probably heard uh, the, uh, I don't know, the ABBA song. Have you, have you heard it? I, I, I skipped that slide, didn't I? Uh, you sing, here's good, old, here's good old ABBA. No, that one. You know, in my dreams I had a plan. If I got me a wealthy man, I wouldn't have to work at all. I'd fool around and have a ball. Money, money, money. <laughs> right? And that's what she was like. In her dreams, Leona Helmsley had a plan. And her plan was to grab as much as she could and keep it for herself, no matter who it might hurt. But the Apostle Paul tells us that God has a different plan for money in his kingdom. You know, he says, God gives to us and God is generous to us, not so that we can want more and more, but so that we can be gracious and so that we can be, have gratitude to God for what he's given and so that we can in turn be generous with what we have. So 2 Corinthians 9, Paul says this. Remember, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. All right? Now, that's... Some people take that out of context, and that's where these guys have this argument that, you know, if you give lots and lots and lots to our church, God will make you rich. No, he's only making them rich, right? Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly, not under compulsion, because God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all times... Having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Right? What God gives us is not just for ourselves to hoard, it's to be used for his kingdom. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Surely, gratitude and generosity are the opposite of greed. All right. Just bring... Um, just briefly now, since we're talking about greed and gratitude and generosity, um, it's important to talk about how this works practically, like in the church setting. You know, recently I had someone, someone say to me, oh, doesn't the government pay your wage as a pastor? <laughs> Are you joking? <laughs> the government? No. I said, Our, my pay, the church bills, everything we do as a church, running Alpha courses, whatever it might be, it all comes by donations. It all comes through the offering. The only thing the church gets from the government is maybe some tax exemptions. So think back to the video I showed earlier. <clears throat> some churches claim that the more you give, the more God will give you so that you can be rich. And they use, they use that, you know, the more you have is proof that you are blessed by God. You know, and so they fly around on these private jets. They have these mansions. And if you don't have a mansion like that, if you don't have your private jet, well, maybe you just don't have enough faith. 
Or maybe you're just not giving enough to the church. You have to give more so you can get back more. It's a false teaching. It's not real. It's a prosperity doctrine that isn't in the Scripture. You know, when he said if Jesus was alive, he wouldn't be on a donkey. He'd be on a private jet. I find that blasphemous. That's That's just shocking, isn't it? Come on. You know, and you know what? What really gets me? I, I have a habit, right? When I, um, when I'm on holidays, I don't, I don't tend to go to churches like this one, like you know, Baptist and Church of Christ. Uh, I like to kind of stretch myself a little and and experience things that I don't normally experience. So I might go to a a charismatic church or I might go to a mega church or I might go to an Anglican church. Just something different because it gives me a a different look and, and, you know, God can speak to me in a different way, which is great. But, you know, one thing I hate is you go go to some some of these Pentecostal churches and I'm not going to knock them because they do a lot of good work. They're, They're really keen on evangelism. They're great when it comes to spiritual gifts. But they talk a lot about faith. And you know, the churches that talk the most about faith are the ones that have a 15-minute gospel sermon, before, sorry, a giving sermon before the offering. And I find that ironic. You're expecting your people to have faith, and yet you're going to spend 15 minutes pumping them up and telling you, you've got to give, you've got to give, you've got to give, before the offering comes around. And I find that very ironic. Other churches have a different attitude. They say that people are obligated to give a tithe, right? A tithe is 10%. And you'll find, you'll find that uh, in the Old Testament law. <clears throat> and of course, what people then do is they go, rather than being a generous giver, they go, oh, okay, if I have to give 10%, uh, is that pre-tax or after-tax? You know, so, and straight away, it's like, oh, there goes the heart. It's gone, it's gone, <laughs> you know? And, and some churches even keep a record of how much people give, right? And they challenge people if, they're not, if they don't think they're giving enough. Now, sure, the Old Testament law talks about giving a tithe, but do you know that we're not under law anymore? We're under grace. We've been saved by grace through the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, but even if you go back to the time under the law, you know that God made lots of exceptions? You know that for poor people, remember when Jesus went to the temple, you know, a rich family would have, would have gone and, uh, and, and, and sacrificed a sheep when their child was born. His parents were poor. They only had to sacrifice a dove when, you know, when he was born. And God made exceptions from the rule that poor people didn't have to give the tithe. It was just not possible for them. And God's understanding and God is gracious. So 10% is a great guide for people, but don't feel bound by it. Don't feel that you have to do it. Don't feel guilty if you can't. And at the same time, if you can give more, don't feel that you're restricted to giving. You know, God, Paul says each should give in what he's determined in his heart to give, cheerfully. There's a lovely, lovely story where Jesus sat down in the temple and the people were giving their offerings and um, they had this big sort of drum, this big metal drum, so that as you put your coins in, it would make a lot of noise. You know, so the more coins you put in, the more noise it made, and everyone could see how much you were giving. 
And so he was watching rich people throwing in large amounts, but a poor widow came in and took in and threw in two small copper coins. And calling his disciples, Jesus said, See that? This widow has put more into that treasury than everyone else because they gave a little out of their abundance and she gave all she had. Paul's second letter to Corinth, which we looked at in the previous point, sets out the proper attitude. The key is not how much we give, it's about our attitude. And it doesn't just apply to money, it applies to our time, to our possessions, to the way we treat other people. Paul tells us that we need to develop an attitude of gratitude to God and generosity towards others. There's no rule about what you must give. There's no promise that the more you give, the richer you'll get. We're not told to give in order to receive blessings for ourselves. In that passage, Paul seems to treat giving like a circle. You know, God gives so that you can give more. And then he gives so that you can continue to give more. We're never told to give so that we have more, only so that we can give and bless others. Um, Just practically now, because we we need to do this every now and again, just to let you know, I'm not telling you how much to give. I'm not going to, and we obviously, we've already had our offering. I'm not taking an offering after the message. Uh, All right. Um, uh, All I'm going to do is just give you the facts just so that you're aware. We need to let the church know kind of every six months or so where we're at. Um, And so if you you look at the budget update here, uh, you can see, let me get my glasses off here, uh, that by this time of the year, we should have, we should have had about $65,000 in offerings. Uh, and we've actually received about fifty. So uh, to achieve that, our, our weekly average offerings should be around $2,500, and currently they're just under $2,000. All right, so that shows you that we're, we're heading towards a deficit this year, uh, if that doesn't pick up. Uh, and I'm not going to tell you what to give or how much to give. I'm just going to let you know that's what it is because uh, it's not my money. It's not the council's money. It's, it's God's money for, that we all contribute to. In the movie Wall Street, <coughs> Gordon Gecko, played by Michael Douglas, said, Greed is good. He ended up in jail, so can't have been that good. Greed is not good. Whether it's about our money, whether it's about our possessions, whether it's about uh, the attention we seek, whether it's about um, uh, how we, um, what, how, <coughs> sorry, whether it's about our time, whatever it might be, greed is a destructive attitude. And like most sinful attitudes, the Bible has a solution you know, that you, to fix it. You don't, you don't fix the problem of greed in your life by going, don't be greedy, don't be greedy, don't be greedy. <laughs> That's not going to work. The Bible's answer, as it is with most issues, is to replace greed with something else. Don't leave room for it. And so you replace it with gratitude to God. And you replace it with generosity to others. And if you're a person who has a heart filled with gratitude and generosity, there's no room for greed. You don't have to fight against that. We all have bills. We all have responsibilities. We all have to be sensible and wise with our money. And we all have different financial circumstances. The key is not how much we give. The key is not the obligation that we have to anyone, to any church or anyone else. 
The key is our attitude. The key is in our hearts with God. God wants us to have an attitude of gratitude. He wants us to praise and thank him. And he wants us to be like him and have an attitude of generosity that we're always willing to be there for others, sometimes even when it costs us. And the Apostle Paul said, you do that, and then like me, you can be content in all circumstances. Let's pray. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are such a loving, a generous, and a giving God. You know, sometimes we forget just how good we have it in this country. We forget how much people elsewhere struggle. And we lose perspective. And Lord, sometimes we get our attitudes wrong. Lord, forgive us when we're only focused on ourselves, on what we have, on what we think we need. Because, Lord, we're not here on this earth to serve ourselves. We're not here on this earth to, to build up wealth or whatever. Lord, we're here to be your servants. Lord, we, and we want to do that. We want to serve you. Lord, we want to reach out and bless people. We want to be people who are generous. We don't want people looking at us and thinking we're like Scrooge McDuck. We want people looking at us and going, wow, is that what God's like? What a generous heart. We want to be like you, Lord. You know, whether it's with our time, whether it's with the, the attention we give, whether it's with our possessions, our money, whatever it might be, Lord, help us not to have greed, but instead, Lord, fill us with gratitude for your love. And in turn, Lord, let generosity flow from us that you may be glorified in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us today. A special thanks to those that have donated to us online, enabling us to continue our ministry to the local community and beyond. It's because of you that our ministry is possible. Click the link in the description or visit yokinebaptist.church to find out other ways you can support us. If you enjoyed listening to this message, be sure to subscribe and share it with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.